0: hello and welcome to City book club the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics i'm amon clark and it's a very warm welcome back a return visit from julius Howe. welcome back julius hello how are you doing Oh, I'm all right, actually. Sadly, we can't be in the East Putney Tavern or any tavern nowadays. So we're on Skype, uh, and it's been a while. It's nearly two years. Well, I've not been to a tavern since,
1: um, or any any sort of drinking establishment since lockdown.
0: Yeah. So no, me neither. Uh, very strange. But anyway, I've lost uh, a stone and a half. <laughs> Thanks to not going out drinking. Pretty much, yeah. So, Julius, normally we'd be talking about The Mech Files, but we're taking a break for that because you've chosen an unusual book for uh, us this time. What have you picked?
1: Oh, yeah, I've picked The Invisibles by Grant Morrison.
0: So I've got in front of me the first volume, uh, Say You Want a Revolution, or the first trade, I should say, uh, written by Grant Morrison, art by Steve Yole, uh, Jill Thompson. I think, is it Colours by Dennis Kramer and Daniel Vozzo? Uh, lettered by Clem Robbins there were covers by Sean Phillips and Ryan Hughes and it was edited by Stuart Moore for DC Vertigo from 1996 to 2000 I think there was about 60 issues in total for The Invisibles but the numbering gets weird doesn't it? Yes so The Invisibles was
1: um, three volumes the first volume uh, was numbered normally the second volume Obviously, started with a new number one to boost sales. And, uh, and then the third volume counted down to from, I think it was uh, 13 or 14 to one. Right. With the idea being that the final issue would come out on the millennium. But because of delays, it didn't come out until after the millennium. Oh, no,
0: OK. So we've got, or at least I've got issues one to eight in this collection that I've got in front of me. So, Julius, first of all, why the, why the Invisibles and not some more of the mech files?
1: Well, I thought that if I branched out into the invisibles, then you 'd have to get me on more because people would want to see the the other volumes and they 'd still be waiting for the volumes of the X ex- of the uh, mech files as well, so i could I could double the amount of times i 'd be on the podcast
0: right <laughs> increased customer uh, anticipation so all right then basically you- yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> that and also i think I think the invisibles is i think it 's a comic that is um has kind of fallen uh, by the wayside it's it's something that is incredibly 90s but is also quite relevant to today as well i mean a lot of the as we'll see a lot of the stuff that uh, comes into the book is has become mainstream culture conspiracy theories i mean you've got the leader of america talking about conspiracy theories now you've got um uh, the kind of uh, gender politics that we take for granted now you've got um, the the clothing, the the fetish wear that became so popular in the 90s there's so much in it that becomes part of mainstream culture that I think it's, uh, it's, it's quite an interesting time capsule as well as being a great book
0: Okay, so I've got this quote that I shared with you before we started recording which I'm going to read out now that I got from a website when I was doing some research about Grant Morrison's The Invisibles and it says There's sex, drugs, dancing, music, violence, aliens, magic, holographic universes, fetish clubs, government conspiracies, monsters and time travel. Does that about sum it up? I think so, yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it.
1: Uh, Another way of putting it is that it's um, whatever Grant Morrison wanted to write about was interesting at the time.
0: Okay. So if you could tell us... Who are the Invisibles? What's the story basically about?
1: So the story is uh, basically about a a revolutionary resistance group and various subgroups that have split off who are fighting back against a global conspiracy or a, a universal conspiracy, whatever you want to call it, and... As I say, anything that Grant Morrison thinks of at the time. Uh, in The Invisibles, we've got King Mob, who's the leader, who's an assassin, uh, based on Grant Morrison himself. There is... I'm trying to remember the names now. Ragged Robin. Yes. Who I believe is based on Jill Thompson, who was originally going to be the, the original artist of the series. There is Jack Frost, who is the one, to use the terms from The Matrix...
0: Um, and he's also the new, new is.
1: recruit, isn't he? New recruit. He's the person who you would expect the story to be explained to, which doesn't, doesn't actually take place. And you've got Boy, who is a, a kung
0: fu expert, martial arts expert. And you've
1: got Lord Fanny as well, who is a witch.
0: And quite, you know, an interesting character, as you say, for a '90s comic. Um, the gender politics that we yeah, now take, and, and like I say, it's uh,
1: this is, I guess, this is Grant Morrison's Sandman. In that, I don't, I don't mean it that it's, it's like Sandman because it's quite different to Sandman, but it follows the same kind of structure. In that, Sandman is basically a vehicle for Neil Gaiman to write stories about the things that he's interested in. And the Invisibles is the same. It's, it's, but Grant Morrison has very different interests. And the characters that appear as the heroes are the kind of people that, um, Grant Morrison was mixing with, was friends with, and they kind of capture, um, the world that he was in at the time, I think.
0: So it's interesting you mentioned The Sandman, because I was thinking that. Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. He wants to write about mythology and folklore stories. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Alan Moore, wants to write about all these public domain characters from the 19th century. The other one that I also thought about was Planetary. Uh, Warren Ellis, who's a slightly difficult creator to talk about these days, but he's... Mm sort of take on fictional universes and then as you say grant morrison in the 90s doing his it's a very grant morrison comic isn't it it's
1: very grant morrison comic yeah uh, you, you think of grant morrison as a as a writer who'd been around for quite a long time by this point but hadn't really had a, a huge amount of critical or um, commercial success he had arkham asylum which was was a massive financial success for him uh, came out around the time of the Batman movie, made him a huge amount of money, and then uh, he seems to have gone traveling and writing while he was traveling. And, uh, uh, following that, we've got Doom Patrol, which didn't seem to make a huge impact in comics. I, mean, I think it's much, uh, uh, it's regarded a lot more favorably now than it was then. Sebastian O, which hadn't been really been successful. Mystery Play, which hadn't been successful. And he was kind of in a position where, uh, he obviously considered himself to be a really good writer, but his stuff wasn't connecting with his audience. And so Invisibles is sort of him stepping back and all of the, the stuff that he's been reading about for years that he's been interested in, the, the culture that he's interested in, the magic, the, the travel that he's doing, all kind of feeds into this comic. And whether you believe in magic or not. I'm not sure. Do you Do you believe in magic?
0: Uh, I can't say I believe in the sort of magic that Grant Morrison and Alan Moore believe in. No. Do you? Okay. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> but um, Grant Morrison says he, he also considers this comic to be a, a form of uh, sigil, which is uh, intended to make his life better. And in fact, his life is made well there there are uh, not during this book but there are incidents that he relates to that actually made him really ill where he put things happening to his character in this book and but the the general idea of the book was to actually make him a cool person by living through this ca- cool character kind of thing and Have you so heard um
0: the, the term fiction suit that king mob is a fiction suit for grant maris morrison i've not wanted a fiction suit Well, I think he's just basically saying that he is basically, that's his fictional version on the comic page, King Mob, this bald-headed, very sort of stylishly early 90s dressed character with magical powers. That's Grant Morrison, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is Grant Morrison. He wore the little glasses, shaved his head. He, and, and the leathers, uh, it's not so much leathers in this series, but in the later series, he starts wearing like a long leather jacket and things.
0: And Julius, I mean, normally, as I say, we'd be talking about ABC Warriors and particularly, I think for those ones, you're interested, uh, it seems to me, particularly in the artwork for the ABC Warriors. And some of the great two thousand artists with the Invisibles—is it the story or the artwork that grabs you most, or is it that comic book combination of both?
1: I think the Invisibles is pretty much the story. I think the artwork—I'm sure we'll get into this—is good in good in places. It's very uh, a lot of it to me looks very much like uh, superhero artists doing sort of people dress normally um but but we can we can look at that I, i'm i'm not a huge fan of the art in invisibles i do like it i think it's it's competent uh but it doesn't excite me in the same way that abc warriors really is an art driven story and and obviously pat mills works so closely with the artists
0: on that so if i take you back to the story then for a minute it We've got in the first collection. We've got two arcs. We've got the first arc is about the new recruit to the Invisibles. This character becomes Jack Frost, although I've forgotten the name. His teenage tearaway real name, and he is Dane. Dane is it McGowan? No, I'm yes, that McGowan. sounds right. Right, Dane is his name, isn't it? And he yeah. is um, a typical comic book tearaway teen who gets somehow. Uh, brought into the Invisibles to fill an empty slot in their... Um, is it their revolutionary cell? There are different cells of the Invisibles around the world?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's some m- magical force of them having five in the
0: cell. Right. And then he gets shown some of the secrets of the universe. Uh, I don't i don't think we get too much idea of how important he's going to be, but I know by doing some of my reading... Because I haven't read the rest of this series yet, Julius. I've only read this first oh, okay. one. Uh, but, but he he becomes much more important later on, as you say. He becomes the one, doesn't he?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's. Um, I suppose we might as well address it now. It's it's quite similar to The Matrix, uh, which would obviously come later. And in fact, Grant Morrison's gone on record to say that he feels that it's kind of been ripped off. The Matrix has been ripped off, the Invisibles, especially the first film, the second and third films, not, not so much. But, um, there is the, you have the freedom fighters who are, who are living in an illusion of a reality in the Invisibles, which is the same as the Matrix. Uh, you've got Dane, who is the, the, the Keanu Reeves character who is taken out of his sort of mundane life and, and shown this, this other world that's there. Through a, a a blue fungus in this one is what makes him see it. Mm. Um, you've got a, a, a bald headed man who has round glasses and leathers, who is his is a great assassin, who is his uh, sort of trainer, and you've got the leap of faith, of course, in the Invisibles where he throws himself off the Canary wolf. Yes. So it's there is a lot there that's that's very similar, and I think that's one of the reasons apart from a lot of it is incoherent, that Invisibles was never really op- made into a film. I think it was optioned for a, a BBC Scotland series, and I think Grant Morrison is currently writing a script for uh, a film or a series proposal at the moment, so there is a chance that it will actually end up on the screen. I think it's something that would work on on um, television now, with the, with the the effects that we can do on television and the, and the way that these sort of long form series work, I think invisibles would be a great thing to, to pass over to that. I don't think there's anything in this series that is bound to comics. So there are some comics that they only really work in the comic form, but I think invisibles is, it's basically a superhero story. It's, um, it's got, it's got the structure and characters of a superhero story, but it's hiding behind the idea of it being, a science fiction or a, a, a political story but it is just a superhero story and it it's something those superhero stories kind of work quite well because there's 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 not a lot of sort of structure to them you can take them out and put them into different forms of media
0: and as we record grant morrison has been writing for television for the brave new world series that's on sky um so he is in television now isn't he and happy as well was um, was adapted. Oh right, yes, I remember that was on Netflix, I think, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. So I, I think Invisibles is going ahead. I think Brave has Brave New World been cancelled now? I think so have I they not made any more of it? Anymore. Oh right, okay. No, I don't think so. But he's it's it's something I think he's interested in 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 bringing Invisibles because it's so personal to him, and I think that was something that upset him about the the Matrix was they actually. It's, he feels like they stole him because he saw himself in the characters. Right. Uh, I think it's something that he'd like to, to have made.
0: So the first but You arc, never know with
1: Grant Morrison, do you?
0: No, you don't. The first arc is Steve Yowell artwork. The second arc in this book, Jill Thompson takes over an art for a story called Arcadia where, if i understand it correctly, the Invisibles, five of them, have to project themselves backwards in time and <laughs> recruit the Marquis de Sade and his fictional, his own fiction within this fiction um, as part of the cause. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's right.
1: And there's Actually, the volume that I've looked at is slightly different to yours because I've looked at the deluxe edition.
0: Which has probably got the first uh, which two is a shame, trades, really, isn't
1: it? Yeah, there are... There are um three more four more issues at the end of the deluxe edition, which I think are are uh really important in the structure of this story uh so I can talk about it with without and then if you want you can read you can read them afterwards uh but i think there to to look at the the this book with those issues as well. I I I won't go into them in detail but I'll make I'll make note of them and we can we can
0: uh... Okay. What did you make of the second section then? I should I should perhaps add there's a content warning on the second section. This will be the second episode of this podcast in a row which has featured sexual assault I'm afraid. Um yes. what do you make of the the Invisibles going back in time for a mission?
1: So uh, I thought that when I first read it cuz I read it in the in the issues uh, not not at the time it was coming out i bought them bought the whole uh almost the whole series i think up until the third the the um the third series and I think I bought that as that was coming out but i i remembered enjoying the first story arc much more when I first read it and finding the Arcadia story arc just completely baffling. Uh, Some of that was to do with... When it was originally published, I think it was slightly censored. Yeah. Because there is serious sexual assault in it and um, some quite horrible stuff because you are dealing with the Marquis de Sade. So uh, I think Grant Morrison was trying to push the boundaries in that way and make a kind of... make a wave through doing that. Yeah. And didn't really work. My understanding of the series is that the first arc sold reasonably well, and then the sales dropped considerably during this story, um, which they they didn't really recover very much during the series, to the point that uh, later, Grant Morrison in the letters page organized a, uh, a sigil and a wankathon where he encouraged the the readers, to masturbate whilst looking at these to encourage the sales to increase. Uh, I don't know if that worked, but (laughs) they they went to it. Does that work? (laughs) (laughs) They rebooted it at number one, so that's kind of an indication that it didn't work. But maybe it did, I don't know. I don't know how strong that magic is. But but reading it again this time, I, I thought that the story was very good, but it suffers from the, the problem that a lot of this book does. And that is that with a the conspiracy theory, once you try to explain it, it often doesn't make sense. Right. And if you don't explain it, you're left with lots of ideas that don't get any resolution. So it feels a bit of a letdown. So I think that I really I really enjoy The Invisibles, just to, just to start with. Uh, as a statement. I find that there's loads of great ideas in there and loads of quite horrific imagery and uh, exciting imagery in the stories. I don't particularly like the characters that much in this in these first arcs. I don't think they're really developed very well. Um, it feels like Grant Morrison has more in his head than he's putting down on the page and it becomes a bit confusing. And And then when we get to uh, and that's in the first sort of the um, the dead Beatles and the down and out in heaven and hell story. When we get to Arcadia, that just all kind of collapses in on itself because you've got you've got a story that's built around the the Nicholas Poussin painting uh, or in, in Arcadia ego, hmm. which isn't explained in the story. I mean, you have to. It's almost expected that you then go out. And do your own research about the comic. But the problem with that is you don't know what parts of the comic you should be researching and looking deeper into because they have some kind of meaning. And what parts are just throwaway statements that he's just throwing in because, oh, I've seen something cool about the scarab beetle in Egyptian um, folklore. I'll put that in there. So it, it does, that's kind of the thing that, that I think alienates people in the story in that there are there's lots of stuff that you can dig into that's interesting, but a lot of it isn't is not followed through, or it it may be later in the series followed followed up on, but you don't get that resolution at the time, and I think that's that's one of the the big flaws in this series. You're kind of left scratching your head a lot of the time in there, going uh, what what is going what is going on here, All right and and. I, d- I don't think the art helps it because I do like Jill Thompson's art, but there's a lot, a lot of the the time there are panels or drawings that kind of really pulled me out of the series because they were just, they just looked so badly drawn. I thought what <laughs> it kind of made me laugh. And you think that you'd go back and kind of change those ones and, and maybe they were in a rush. I don't know, but it, it does. um I found this a lot with a lot of Vertigo stuff. There's, uh, especially early hellblazer and things there were just drawings that looked when you're used to 2000 d art you don't expect to see some uh, like a, a a human who doesn't look human just standing right. there you wonder yes. if they're a monster or something um so so that these kind of factors do pull you away from the story which is which is why i kind of picked the deluxe edition because the last three stories in there are excellent they're self-contained issues they um set something up and have a, a finish and they're, they're drawn by steve parkhouse um chris weston and john ridgeway three sort of artists who really keep everything together and that sh- kind of shows you what the Invisibles could be And is really exciting The problem is None of those stories are about the main characters in the series
0: <laughs> And were they the next so three less...
1: issues in the series Or
0: were they from later on?
1: Yeah, they, they're, the next, they're the next three issues So there's the completion of the Arcadia story Which yeah. is uh, called Things Fall Apart And then there is uh, a Season of the Gauls Which is about the Jim Crow character Which is a bit right. controversial now and Royal Monsters, which is a story about the the villains and a interdimensional deformed royal child who lives inside a mirror and comes out to feed on humans. Of course, and uh, it, it it goes into the um, the characters of the the fox hunters who we see earlier in the series, and then. Um, Best Men Fall, which I think is the best thing Grant Morrison's ever written, which finishes the, the deluxe edition. And the reason I mention it is because that story is um, it follows the life of a henchman. And he starts off as a child, and it jumps about through time throughout the whole story, and that concludes with him dying at the hand of King Mob in the very first issue of Invisibles, Ah, uh, no, so I've read about this. Yes, what, it's what Austin Powers stole, basically. Right, and, um, <laughs> okay. and it's it's such it's such a great story because it makes you really feel for this character in so few pages. Who you don't know uh, yes. the kind of the idea of the the cycle of violence in his life, how he starts off, and what he's subjected to and sees around him ends up becoming his life. And then he, he becomes a soldier, kind of gets injured, his family die, ends up as this sort of working in this rubbish job as a henchman. And then he's killed by the supposed hero of the story. In the very and first it's issue. Such a, in the first issue, yeah. And that's why I was saying about... That's one of the things of Invisibles is, although it is a superhero comic, it's also casting doubt on whether the heroes are heroes because they're terrorists. Um, To to what extent? Same with Viva Vendetta. Is it okay to kill? We have this come up later in the series as well. I think King Mob swears off killing. Um, And so you have... There's loads and loads of great ideas, but it almost feels like... Uh, the editor needed to pull Grant Morrison in a bit, to rein him in a bit on them. Uh, And Stuart Moore's a great editor. He did a great job on Preacher. Uh, But I just think it's, he's kind of, I suppose it's hard to edit something like this because you don't know where it's going and you kind of have to have faith in your writer. But I think once once you get to Arcadia, things are kind of a little bit out of control. And after that, it, it
0: pulls back a bit. Here's a daft question, but who are the bad guys of the Invisibles? Oh, Complicated. Every, everything. Right. So
1: the the government. So the bad guys are, I can't remember off the top of my head because it's been a while since I've read it. The bad guys are, I think they're some kind of sort of David Icke-style alien creatures, sort of interdimensional beings who live in an, in another dimension the the world around us is a is a hologram uh, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head but it does it does go into it somewhat and the humans that we see are the enslaved by these other beings they are working with them so the governments and the and the um, p- figures of authority basically are working to feed these these monsters right
0: and I mean, you that's said- another
1: thing, though. Is again, it's not. It's not fully. With all conspiracy theories, when you try and break them down, they 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 always become a bit shady. Uh, so I can't remember. I've only read the series once, so I was really looking forward to rereading it.
0: And you because mentioned- I remember I enjoyed it, but yeah,
1: I remember I was very confused by a lot of it. So okay. I thought uh, one of the reasons, actually, to be honest, to. to to pick this book was not just because it was kind of forgotten, it was because I remember enjoying it, but I remember uh, it probably needed a reread to get more out of it. Right. And I want to see whether that was the case.
0: Okay. And, you, of course, you mentioned earlier that now conspiracy theories are all over the internet because we've got the internet now and, of course, we've got political figures who buy into certain conspiracy theories. That I did... I mean, I was, I was a bit confused by this first trade, but I was also, I did get a sort of whiff of the QAnon conspiracy theorist uh, aspect of it all. Grant Morrison being ahead of the game yet again, I guess, back in the 90s.
1: Yeah. So those conspiracy theories have been around for quite a long time, though. And in fact, in some, I read some of his notes about the series, he talks about. Um, royal satanic paedophile rings and and things like that that he's been reading about. So there is, I, I suppose, along with the kind of stuff that Pat Mills was writing in Finn there is the influence of these conspiracy theories that people like David Icke were were writing about at that time. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think, and and this is one of the other things that that, that kind of makes Invisibles great and also uh makes it suffer is that when this was written to have to know about these things to have this knowledge you needed to kind of be shown by someone else there was there was ideas and concepts that were that were not part of the mainstream and a mate would go oh you you gotta read this 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 book i've read this book it's great it's all about these uh satanic pedophile cults uh, and uh, you can't get it anywhere and he'd give you a copy of it and you'd read it and you'd go wow but but, there was no way of fact checking anything because we didn't have the internet and everything wasn't connected together and so this kind of knowledge took on a uh, an underground sort of form of of a monetary form that you could exchange with people if you and if you had like the video of the alien autopsy that your the tenth like, generation that your friend gave you or some sort of horror film or things like that. These were all part of underground subculture that, that wasn't available to, to mainstream audiences. And what Grant Morrison was doing here was taking a lot of that knowledge that he'd accumulated over the years and turning it into a, a more mainstream product. Now with the internet, we have access to everything that's, that's kind of ever been. So that knowledge has kind of, has just lost all its value. And and it's interesting because when reading this sort of... I mean, the internet was coming in, but it wasn't the thing, the monster it is now. Reading it then, it's there was loads of stuff in here, and, and especially in the letters column, which I sent you a PDF yes. of, where Grant Morrison would say, I've been reading this book, you should read this book. And he'd tell you about like other books you could read that were interesting and, and expanded on some of the ideas that he had. And that was kind of how uh if you were friends with people who were into this kind of stuff it would work they would they would come to you and go oh i've been reading this you should go, you got to read this book it's great and uh and and that's gone because obviously you can just go to a website there's millions of websites about any sort of bizarre um conspiracy theory that can be disproved in 2 minutes yes and it's 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 become more it wasn't really a joke then it was something that was kind of cool, and now it's become an absolute joke, the kind of b- believing in these things. Mm. Except uh, unless you're, you know, the leader of
0: a like free world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is the world free, though? No, that's the question. Yeah, well, according to the Invisibles and QAnon. Um, you mentioned other books, and you mentioned the letters column. And yeah. you you sent as you say, you helpfully sent me the letters and all Grant Morrison's various introductions and as you say, he's given out notes, he's giving out recommendations. Have you read his book Super Gods? Yes. Because i Are we gonna right? talk about Kathmandu? Yes, we are gonna talk about <laughs> Kathmandu. <laughs> <laughs> because his Kathmandu experience that he describes in his uh, book Supergods, he also describes to some extent in the letters column. Uh, so it happens yeah. somewhere during this first run of The Invisibles, is that right? I think it happened just before. I think right. The
1: Invisibles is him trying to deal with seeing beyond the veil, Right, so it's, it's kind of opened up a new world to him, and there's lots of mentions of things like uh, DMT and stuff like that in there that that have become more mainstream now with people like Joe Rogan talking about the the kind of psychological effects of of these drugs on 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 people, and it's uh, yeah, I think he had.
0: Uh, I don't. Do you believe in aliens? No. Well, let's let. (laughs) Do do I believe in aliens visiting the earth? No, don't believe in that either. (laughs) But let's, for anybody, for our listeners who haven't read Super Gods, Grant Morrison had some sort of experience in Kathmandu. It was a mystical experience, or it was a drug related experience, or it was a mental health related experience, or it was an alien related experience. But as you say, he saw beyond the veil, and everything became clear to him, I think, from that. Would that be yeah. about right? And he became a lot
1: cooler and less shy, and became the character of Grant Morrison rather than the the kind of the uh, the old character of Grant Morrison who used to exist. Who was like this kind of embittered, angry youth who would write. Columns hating everything that existed. He then became the basically the king mob character with the shaved head and the leathers and going to fetish clubs and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Is this one of the definitive works of Grant Morrison? I mean, from 2000 AD, obviously most of us would have started with Zenith um, and him. Where would you put the Invisibles in his uh, entire catalogue, Julius? So I think that uh, the Grant Morrison
1: who writes now is very different to the Grant Morrison who was writing Invisibles. It's a transitional work for him. The Grant Morrison who writes Zenith is, is still very much indebted to Alan Moore. He, is, he loves superheroes, hmm. but he's very, he doubts them. He doesn't embrace them. Right. And the Grant Morrison of today loves superheroes and embraces them. He, he loves everything about the silliness of, of superhero culture. And, and it's, it's a transition that Alan Moore also made around the same time, uh, <laughs> where you go from being a cynical person of taking these stories that you loved as a kid and trying to write them in a realistic and, and kind of that wouldn't work cynical way. And then going to, well, no, actually these, what makes these stories great is because they are. Written in this way, I can add in my interest, but still keep the 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 spirit of the superhero alive, which is what Grant Morrison becomes when he gets very successful in superhero comics. This is a superhero comic that's kind of midway between that. So it's him it's it's him de- um, dealing with all his his metafiction ideas through him being a character in the comic, through his real world events. Sort of coming into the comic, and it's quite similar in that way to Flex and uh, and the, the filth as well, which are kind of they're very they've got a very similar vibe to them. The, the three stories, and and so you've got that you've got the superhero elements of the team fighting back against the villains. You've got, um, but they're treated less cynically than when he was doing Doom Patrol mm. and Animal Man. And yet you've got all of this kind of crazy conspiracy stuff coming in as well. At the end of this, I think it's almost like Grant Morrison's exercised his demons. He, he starts working on JLA during this series, and and which is like a pure superhero book. And then he goes on to do just mainly superhero stuff
0: following this. Batman Um, and all-star Superman and all that Batman uh,
1: Superman yeah um, yeah all the Marvel stuff he did X-Men and Marvel Boy yes so so you know I think I think this is probably uh, depending on how personal Grant Morrison can ever be I think this is one of his most personal comics I think this is basically everything he was interested in at this time possibly still is interested in this stuff now I don't know but he he's very open in it and and he's kind of trying to it's almost like like I said about a friend will come up and go oh you've got to read this he's doing that with the reader and I think that's why the the letters page is important because it shows that the comic is also he's excited about the comic and he's excited to show people all this stuff that he's looking at and oh, look at this really interesting thing that I've found and and to to go back to Arcadia, the whole idea of that painting, uh, the Nicholas uh, Poussin painting in there, is that there's supposedly lots of uh, codes in the painting that oh, have I been right. buried in there. Which I think he was gonna. I don't know if he can't remember if he does. I think he was going to expand on later, but probably didn't because the story wasn't wasn't very well liked. Right. Um, but yeah, and and there's even even. Beyond this book, there's, there's loads of interesting stuff around the artistic choices that he makes in there. I mean, Grant, Grant Morrison, the Invisibles are created by Grant Morrison. He drew all the character designs as well. Which he's, he's actually a pretty good artist, Grant Morrison. Oh, right. Okay. And he, he, um, I think he draws the last couple of pages, maybe the last page or the last couple of pages of the story. And the story really is, about him in a way it's 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 a piece of fiction but also a piece of metafiction which you know which is why i think without the letters in there it's it's difficult to appreciate that element of it that is it's a it's a monthly comic and it's a monthly comic informed by his life and it's he's talking to the audience while he's doing it when you break it down to a book, it becomes a block of, of work. And I think it changes the, the structure of, of it as a, as a comic, really. And it becomes just a story. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot in there. And of course, he, he works with a lot of the people he's worked with before. Uh, it, he ends up working with Philip Bond and, uh, Frank Whiteley and um, lots of the kind of, and Steve Yole and lots of the artists that he worked with in the past. But then in the second series, which I'm sure we'll get to in, a, in another, uh, another uh, podcast, he gets paired with um, Phil Jimenez, who becomes almost a regular artist on the series and grounds it more as an action comic than it is in the first series. Because it's kind of right. all over the place in the first series, and that has a charm, but it also has drawbacks. And you know, I wish you'd have read the last, the extended edition, because so we could go through those last. How different those last stories are. Because I think they, I think if you read the first, the book of the Invisibles that you've read, I don't think you'd read on. I don't think there's enough there, right, to to to, to capture your imagination. But having these extra stories in there is gives you gives you more but again those stories don't have any of the lead characters in them it's really strange it's it really is a a, a vehicle for Grot Morris to just talk about whatever he's interested in and that's what he's done but I don't think that he's established those lead characters enough in the first bit to make them interesting enough that's the right. sad thing
0: well, I had heard about issue 11, so I will, uh, I will certainly get on that as well. Um, the deluxe edition, does it have the letters pages and additional matter in it as well? No, it doesn't, no. sadly. No, any the, I have the edition, collections, do you know? Uh,
1: it collects a couple, I think one or two additional stories. It's got... Let's have a quick look. So it's got a King Mob story from, um, that was printed in Absolute Vertigo... Uh, I think
0: that's everything.
1: Yeah, that's all it's got as as additional stuff.
0: OK. All right. Well, we will be getting to more Invisibles in the future by the sounds of it. There was an intention or at least maybe it was an editorial intention rather than a Grant Morrison intention to have a different artist for each story arc. We've got Steve Yo, we've got Jill Thompson in this one. Later on, we're going to get as you've said, uh, John Ridgway, Mark Buckingham, Chris Weston, Sean Phillips. Sean Phillips is doing some of the covers in this first run. Um, yeah. Brian Bolland he, takes over as the cover artist. Brian and Bolland. In fact, Brian of Bolland
1: was, um, was originally going to draw one of the issues as well. He wanted to do a, an issue of Invisibles.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And he did all those Animal Man covers as well. For um, he did. Grant yeah. Morrison took that one on, didn't he? Yeah.
1: Yeah. He did some amazing covers for Invisibles, really, like, for me, it's some of his best work. Yeah, as I said, I think Jill Thompson was originally going to draw the first, the first two arcs, possibly up until issue nine or 10, I think. Right. And then because of her busy schedule, she wasn't, she wasn't able to, to do them. So obviously he'd worked a lot with Steve Yole. He comes in and draws the first arc and Jill Thompson drew the, the second arc. I think Steve's art is great on the on it. Hmm. Uh, the only the only problem is that because the because the story is quite loose and Steve's art is quite loose as well, it sometimes is is a little confusing. I think with uh when when he starts working with uh well I think his scripts are a bit tighter in the second series, but when he starts working with Phil Jimenez, he it, because it's more um, superhero-y art, it it grounds the story a lot more.
0: Okay. Do you have a particular favourite artist from the entire run on uh, The Invisibles? I have to remember back. I remember,
1: I think Frank Quitely, he did a couple of pages, but his stuff was amazing in it. Yeah. And I know that... Well, we'll get to what it about when your, we get to the what other about books. What about your but...
0: collection? Do you have art pieces from outside of British comics in your collection?
1: I've got a page of Invisibles in my collection.
0: Have you now? There you go. And I who's do. that by? <laughs> by Steve Yowell from the first issue. Oh, right, okay. So do you own your Grail page from the first um, two stories? This, this is probably
1: the page I would most like from the, from the first arc. There is in the absolute vertigo story that's not reprinted in the book that you've got. I don't believe there's a yeah. great picture of of King Mob, a full page splash. I love a I love a a full page splash. Yeah, and and that would probably be the one that I would go for overall. I think it's a it really captures the the action side of the of the story, which which is um, it's great to see. Okay. Yeah, the, the Steve, the Steve Yowell page that I've got is, I'm just having a look. It is, so it's page 18 where King Mob meets John Lennon. Oh, right. Yes. And on the original page, it's Steve has reproduced Richard Avedon's 1967 John Lennon, uh, solarized painting, uh, whatever photograph. And that had to be changed when it was published, to a different picture of John Lennon drawn by Steve because, obviously, it was a copyrighted image.
0: Ah, uh, okay.
1: So on the original that I've got, it's got the original drawing of John Lennon. It looks much better than the printed page.
0: Right. Because John Lennon and that's Stuart Sutcliffe, I think, that uh, he meets. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which, again, if if you're talking about when this was published in, was it 1994, 95? people didn't really know the story of Stuart Sutcliffe. The people that were, it's become a lot more, the story of the origins of the Beatles has become a lot more common knowledge. So again, it's Grant Morrison going, here's something interesting that I know about like what the Beatles were like before they were famous. And uh, John Lennon does actually talk about invoking uh, the spirit of John Lennon in in some kind of magical ceremony that has helped him. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like we will be coming back to the Invisibles in future episodes. Um, tease me. What have we got to look forward to as the story progresses? Oh, we've got uh,
1: Mister Quimper to look right. forward to. One of the most horrific villains. Uh, I think he's amazing. We've got uh, we've got a move towards a more action based storyline. We've got reveals. Is there is there a mole within the organisation? Uh, we've got Grant Morrison bringing in characters from his sort of very early work into the Invisibles. We've got the Sweeney coming into the Invisibles. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> At some point, I think. Uh, let's think what else we've got. We've got um, the, the the final countdown issues, which are really interesting. Start messing around with time and space, and jumping to different cells in the future and things like that, which is, I I remember being very confused by it. It'd be interesting to read it now and see whether it makes more sense. And as it gets towards the end, it starts switching to an artist, sometimes every different artist, every page, every two or three pages. And that creates a, that is when the form of the comic comes in and changes things and, and, In these, in this early stories, it's, as I said, it can be applied, these stories can be applied to any form of media, but as we get more into the later series, the actual structure of comics becomes more important within the story.
0: Okay, well, stay tuned. We will be back with uh, more Invisibles in the future with Julius, hopefully in a post-COVID world where we can get together again. And more mech files as well. More mech files. and We'll perhaps compare notes a bit closer next time to make sure I've got the right edition in advance. (laughs) Uh, I think that's my fault, really. That's all right. Um, how is the collection going, Julius? Any recent acquisitions or any news of note? Not, not really, because of the
1: lockdown. And everything.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's quite.
1: It's almost impossible to get comedy works. So, I have, <laughs> If you If you don't have any money, you can't really buy any artwork. Not
0: buy art, yes.
1: Uh, so, if people do want to buy any of my artwork, get in touch. And how would they find you? Well, uh, you can just Facebook usually. find me on facebook or what else
0: okay so (laughs) while you're on the subject of facebook you're now uh one of the admins on the 2000 ed megaverse page on facebook is that right
1: yeah i am yeah it's my it's my group i own it now do you officially
0: yeah you are the king
1: mob of that group i am yeah it's that i've got a very laissez-faire attitude though it's a it's a freedom of speech group. People can do whatever they want in there. I don't I don't really police it in any way, unless people are being like unless there's something really bad in there. But I think it's it should be self policing. Okay. Uh, so I do allow politics to be discussed as long as it's relevant to the world of Judge Dredd in AD.
0: Of course, and I've sort of forgotten the basis of this joke. But are we allowed to post images of the 1984 2080 annual again now? You can you can give it a go, see if it works. That was a thing for a while, but I can't remember. Basically, <laughs> it's where.
1: still going. It's still, it's a still thing. going. Is yeah. it? I find one of, one of the, the fun things about the group is that as because of there's because there's not a, a strong administrative presence, there are lots of things, lots of and there's an element of um, there's an emphasis on humour in the group as well that people are allowed to make jokes about the stories. It's not they're not held in such high regard that people can't make fun of stuff. Um, there is developed uh, a kind of uh, a meta language within the group and lots of jokes that relate to other jokes that run and run. And I think people that have been in the group for a long time, get more out of it than people that have just joined who sometimes are quite confused by these, these long term things that pop up every now and again. Yes, yeah. I mean, It's fun. It, it's, it's a bit of diversion, isn't it, in a world that is racked with misery and death and destruction.
0: Exactly, yes. So there is a bit of fun on the 2018 Megaverse Facebook page. And if the gentleman who originally posted the 1984 uh, 2018 annual cover image is listening, I do apologise. I can't really remember what was wrong with it originally, but I know it became the source of a running joke that I think even I contributed to from time to time.
1: Sure, sure, I'll tell you, but what the best thing to do is I'll tell you now, just cut it out of the podcast so no one else will know. Okay. So um, the joke was that someone posted that they'd posted the picture of the annual cover and it had been deleted. So they were so angry they were leaving the group oh, and then they left right. the group. Oh,
0: that's right. Yes, I remember now.
1: And then – but they'd never posted it. They must have posted it in another group. <laughs> Because no one in that group would delete it. And, in fact, we looked through the the logs of admin activity and no one had ever deleted a the post they'd done. So it was quite funny, really. I, I find it funny that that people take stuff that so seriously. I mean, it's just a Facebook group. Why would anyone care?
0: I do <laughs> remember, really yes. Yeah, somebody got very cross and flounced out and there didn't yeah. seem to be any reason for them to be cross <laughs> with the group in the first place. I do, yes. No. Yes okay there's
1: there is something that's just inherently funny about people getting really mad on social media and announcing that they're leaving groups yes it's just it's so it's so unbelievably meaningless
0: <laughs> if you're listening, come back it wasn't two thousand eighty megaby yeah of course everyone is allowed in even even the like unless they unless they breached dimensionality and uh they'd they'd seen through the veil as it were into the world of the invisibles, maybe they posted it in that version
1: it could be maybe there was a uh, a world in which they did post another dimension in which they did post it and we did remove it so there is an, an version
0: of the two thousand and eighty megaverse uh
1: yeah. But as well as the the Megaverse, I should probably... I'm terrible at doing plugs, but I should mention, please do follow, subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, which I should know the address of, but I always forget. Um, I think it's youtube.com slash Julius Howe. I'll put the link in the show. notes, Julius. Info. Yeah, yeah. It's the easiest way, yeah. But on there, I do comedy videos, and we also host the Megaverse... Uh, podcast as well whenever we get round to it which hasn't been very much recently but we're going to start doing it again that's the talk about the magazine talk about the magazine and also to talk about so kieran who's one of the people who appears on it has never really read comics and so the my well, part of the idea is for for um uh, for us to show him some really good stuff from 2000 ad we were going to do origins next i think and then dr and Quinch and um in insurrection is it yeah um, yeah i think so yeah. Colin McNeil. Um, yeah and yeah and just kind of pick out the 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 best of but because he's someone who's not read these things before we can kind of critically evaluate them through new eyes for us to look at them and go "Oh, actually you know we've read these as children so they have a different meaning to us to someone who's now a Man in his thirties who's reading them for the first time. Are they, do they stand up to that kind of scrutiny?
0: Okay. And in, will you be doing the Invisibles with him?
1: Well, I, I think we, we should branch out into, into other comics, but we kind of stick to 2008 at the moment, uh, because it's, you know, such a, it's got such a big library of great stuff, a lot of which isn't, isn't known to a huge amount of people. So hopefully we can get some new people to read this stuff
0: and should i mention your website juliushow.co.uk what happens there
1: uh nothing at the moment because i don't have any gigs (laughs) oh right okay i I put gigs on (laughs) i put gigs on there basically and uh and when i was running comedy shows they went on there as well in fact i probably need to renew thank you i probably need to renew the um the The domain. domain
0: okay Right, so go and find Julius on YouTube to watch his comedy. Come to the Facebook group Megaverse if you want to post about the 1984-2080 annual uh, or if you want to flounce out. And come back this time next year when we'll be talking about more Invisibles, by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, hopefully sooner than this time next year because you can get me on...
0: More frequently. Well it's, I know. Such a waiting list, Julius. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for giving up your time this Tuesday afternoon to record with me. And thank you for everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club. You can find all of the links, including links to Julius's work at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Spotify, or email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that will do us. Thanks again, Julius. Thanks for having me. I hope it was as
1: incoherent as The Invisibles was.
0: (laughs) We'll find out. And so until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, uh, it's goodbye from me and... It's goodbye from him.